listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. We will get to our episode in a moment, but first, Paula and I appreciate all of the continued support out there. We have over a million downloads, and we want to keep growing. If you could leave a positive rating on our podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, tell a friend or family member about our show. Now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. Let's dig up a new mystery. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with us, as always, is our award-winning journalist who spent 30 years telling these kinds of stories with the Akron Beacon Journal, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everybody. We've done a couple of Thomas Edison stories before. After all, he's one of Ohio's most famous sons, born in Milan, Ohio, former telegraph operator in Cincinnati, married an Akron girl used to play his phonograph to friends at a corner store in the Stark County village of Greentown. So, regardless of where his activity happened in his life, I figure Ohio owns a piece of it. Edison was an incredible inventor, the driving force behind not just the light bulb, but the electric industry, an era that was marked by the so-called War of the Currents. Edison's D.C., versus Nikola Tesla's AC. But there was a very dark and cruel outcome to that war. Because to try and prove that DC was safer and Tesla's AC more dangerous, Edison helped design the electric chair that would be used for executions, an invention that some had thought might be more humane than hanging, but turned out to be a gruesome and horrific event. So here's the story of the first electric chair, its first victim, and Thomas Edison's very unfortunate role in it. First, a word or two on the War of the Currents, which really is what led to the electric chair's invention. In the late 1800s, there was a race to develop new uses for electricity and to determine which of two competing power sources would rule the day. I'm probably dating myself here, but I kind of think back to when beta and VHS tapes were both out at the same time. Two different systems, both for playing videotapes, But it was clear only one of them was going to survive. One was going to win out and become the standard. And I'm still very sad to report that the salesman talked me into buying a beta player, which was obsolete before the end of the year. So you've got these two sides of the cutthroat current wars. And in the end, the country was going to have to pick one. In one corner, you had Nikola Tesla, who had invented alternating current, AC, which sent power in both directions and for longer distances, making it fast and seemingly superior for something like a neighborhood or a city. But those high voltages and long networks were risky, greater potential for danger. Thomas Edison had invented direct current, called DC, which was slower to deliver electricity because it only flowed in one direction and not as far. But that reduced risks and made it safer. 
Now, enter George Westinghouse. You probably at least know that last name. He was an inventor and entrepreneur who had amassed a fortune in railroads, and he wanted to use all of his money to build the country's first electric utility company. And because Tesla's AC was faster and went farther, he wanted Tesla to win. So in 1886, Westinghouse funded the first AC power transmission system near Boston using Tesla's design. He thought by hopping out of the gate before Edison, people would see how successful AC was and there would be no reason to cast Edison another glance. If it's working, why bother looking anywhere else? But you could not count Edison out because Edison was a rock star. You know, come to think of it, there are a lot of incredible inventors and innovators and discoverers who are barely recognized for their contributions to mankind until after their deaths. Yeah, this was not the case with Edison. Americans loved him. He was a household name and he was going to get every benefit of the doubt. My God, the, the man gave us light. So Westinghouse could make all the persuasive arguments he wanted. As soon as he stopped talking, everybody was going to turn to Edison to see what he had to say. And Edison was happy to report that AC was dangerous. And in some ways, Edison was quickly proven right. There were stories about people who had died by touching an AC power source. And one case in particular stood out. In 1881, a drunken man had stumbled into a generator room in Buffalo, New York. He touched the live equipment and immediately dropped dead. Now, while others might see that episode and their first thought would be, wow, that guy dropped dead immediately. That's bad. There was another guy in Buffalo where it happened who thought, wow, that guy dropped dead instantly. That's amazing. And there's a use for that. The guy's name was Alfred Southwick. He was a Buffalo dentist who decided electricity could be a much more humane way to execute criminals than by hanging. Hanging often went wrong, and if the convict's neck wasn't immediately broken, what followed was a scene of pure torture. So Alfred Southwick designed and patented a chair for the express purpose of killing a human being. There were straps and electrical wires, and he tested it on animals, killed them, and deemed the chair a success. That the device looked like a dentist chair, well, I probably don't have to say more about that. So, New York became the first state willing to transition to the electric chair. But the details had to be worked out. After all, how do you deliver the electricity? How much voltage? How long should it last? Do you have to do it more than once? After all, the whole point was to kill someone instantly and not torture them to death. The state formed a commission to approve a design, and that commission included the chair's inventor, Alfred Southwick, and Thomas Edison. Now, 
This was a little weird because Edison had publicly opposed the death penalty. But apparently his opposition to that was not as strong as his desire to beat Tesla and George Westinghouse in the War of the Currents and to have his DC become the standard for the power industry. Edison decided one way to get his competitors out of the way was to use AC in the electric chair, something he hoped he could use to connect AC to death and danger in the public mind. He even started using the term Westinghousing instead of executing. For example, New York will be Westinghousing their next convicted killer. Westinghouse was appalled. He also opposed hanging as a means for execution, but equally opposed the idea of frying somebody to death. He refused to sell any of his AC generators to public entities, hoping that that would somehow keep them out of the hands of states that would use them for executions. But there were some Westinghouse generators that were already sold and out in the public, and all Edison needed to do was find one. And he did. Then Edison and his team set about trying to figure out the most efficient way to kill a man using a live electric charge. It it was a terrible business. At his laboratory in West Orange, New Jersey, they experimented on all sorts of creatures, stray dogs and cats, then upgraded to farm animals like pigs and calves. Finally, Edison had an adult horse brought in when they thought they had it all worked out. And, well... It worked. So they wrote down the procedure. They spelled it all out, how much charge to apply, how long it should last, whether it should be repeated. George Westinghouse is not taking this all quietly, by the way. He did everything he could to try and stop the use of his generator on condemned prisoners. And when convicted killer William Kemmler was named as the first man who's going to be executed by the electric chair in New York in 1889, Westinghouse spent a ton of money hiring the convict, a defense team, to argue that the chair would be considered cruel and unusual punishment. But this train had left the station. There was just too much interest in seeing how it would work. And Kemmler seemed as good as anyone to offer up for the experiment. An appeals court found it not to be cruel and unusual punishment. And the U.S. Supreme Court decided not to intervene in that ruling. William Kemmler was from Philadelphia. He was the child of German immigrants who were also alcoholics. They both died of it. His dad died from an infection received during a drunken brawl, and his mom from medical complications associated with her drinking. So, not surprisingly, Kemmler became an alcoholic himself, well known around the saloons in Buffalo, New York, as Philadelphia Billy. He was a peddler by trade, sold vegetables in the poor neighborhoods of Buffalo. Well, one night, 
March 29, 1889, he came home after a drinking binge and got into a fight with his girlfriend, Tilly Ziegler, often referred to as his common-law wife because they had lived together for a couple of years. He accused her of stealing from him and making plans to run away with one of his friends. The argument escalated, and William went to his barn, grabbed an axe, returned to the house, and struck her with it repeatedly. Then he calmly went to a neighbor's house and confessed the crime. About five weeks later, he was on death row, convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. After state authorities decided to make him their first example, a chair was made ready at the Auburn State Prison. I should note it has been nine years now from Southwick's invention of the chair through Edison's development of the routine that should be used and full passage of New York legislation to allow it. Nine years from that to the day that Kemmler is going to be strapped into it. The morning of Kemmler's execution was August the 6th, 1890. He was awakened at 5 a.m. He dressed himself in a suit, a white shirt, and a necktie, ate breakfast, and prayed. Then the top of his head was shaved. At 6.38 a.m., Kemmler entered the execution room, and Warden Charles Durston presented Kemmler to 17 witnesses who were in attendance. Kemmler was composed. He looked at his audience and said, Gentlemen, I wish you all good luck. I believe I am going to a good place, and I am ready to go. A hole was cut into his suit so an electrical lead could be attached to him. Then Demmler sat in the chair where he was strapped in, his face covered, and a metal restraint put on his bare head. He told his executioners, Take it easy and do it properly. I'm in no hurry. Then the warden said, Goodbye, William, and ordered the switch thrown. Now, things looked okay at first. The generator had been charged with a 1,000 volts, which was expected to deliver unconsciousness and cardiac arrest. That horse that Edison killed, that had just taken place the day before, And, hey, if it worked for a horse, why wouldn't it work for a man? They passed the current, (laughs) AC current, on a Westinghouse generator through Kemlar for 17 seconds. Then the power was turned off, and physician Edward Spitzka declared Kemlar dead. Next came this infamous exchange, when Alfred Southwick stood and said, obviously in a planned announcement, we live in a higher civilization from this day on. But then he was interrupted when someone in the audience shouted back, great God, he is alive. The physicians turned and saw that Kemmler was still moving. They rushed back to him, checked his vitals, and then things went from bad to horrific. Now, this gets gross, folks, so if you want, just speed ahead about a minute. There there should be like a 15-second fast-forward button on your app, and if you're sensitive, hit that thing two or three times. 
But you know what? I'm not going to hide what happened next because sometimes it's important that we stare history in the face and be unflinchingly accurate. So they reset the system very quickly to 2,000 volts and they hit Kemmler again for a full minute. So this is twice the recommended voltage and for almost four times the recommended time. Apparently, they were just panicked and just in a big hurry to make sure he died and didn't care about how it got done. Witnesses said Kemmler was burned alive. They could smell his singed skin and hair. Sparks flew from his face. The blood vessels under his skin ruptured and bled, and it looked as if he was sweating blood. Smoke rose from the crown of his head. Then his bowels gave away, and the odor of boiling human excrement filled the room. Some witnesses jumped up and tried to flee the scene. The next day, as newspaper reporters shared what they'd seen, Westinghouse, full of disgust, said they would have done better with an axe. And the New York Times ran the headline, Far worse than hanging. Despite this horrible beginning, New York State declared it a success. Hey, the guy was dead, right? And they ordered more electric chairs. Eventually, 26 other states quickly followed suit, replacing hanging with this newfangled way of killing convicts. Ohio adopted it in 1897, seven years after Kemmler's botched execution, and it became the most prominent execution method all the way until the mid-1980s, when lethal injection became more widely accepted. As of last year, the only places that still reserve the electric chair as an option are Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Inmates can choose it over lethal injection. And that happened in 2020. The most recent electrocution in the United States was a serial killer, Nicholas Todd Sutton, who opted for the electric chair in Tennessee. Here's a few more facts about Ohio. Only 28 people were ever hanged by the state of Ohio before the state switched to the electric chair. That seemed kind of low to me, but to be fair, it was a time when a lot of people would simply lynch the accused before he ever went to trial. So perhaps there were fewer people than there would have been if justice had played out the way it was supposed to. From 1897 to 1963, when Ohio switched all state executions to lethal injection, 315 people had been put to death in Old Sparky. That was the nickname convicts gave the chair at the Ohio Penitentiary. There, of course, is broad support for ending capital punishment altogether. In 2019, Amnesty International reported that of 195 countries in the world, only 20 kill their prisoners the U.S. being one of them. Currently, by the way, capital punishment in Ohio has been suspended indefinitely as the state seeks a replacement for lethal injection. The last execution here 
was in 2018. That's it for tonight, listeners. For photos, news clippings, and more on this and every episode, hop on over to ohiomysteries.com. Also, for more shows like ours, head on over to killerpodcasts.com. We are a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.